If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Deuteronomy 13, 6 through 11. If your brother, the son of your mother, or your son or your daughter, or your wife you embrace, or your friend, who is as your own soul, entices you secretly, saying, let's go and serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You shall stone him to death with stones, because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all Israel shall hear and fear and never again do any such wickedness as this among you. Our New Testament reading is Mark 10, 28 through 31. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Please join me in prayer as we as we open the word of God. Our Father, we're grateful to you for this book that we have in our hands, Lord, or even the words that we have on our, on our devices. It's your word, Lord, and it's forever settled in heaven. And some of the things that we read in it sometimes, Lord, are unsettling, but you are speaking them to us in mercy and love. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us now to grasp what it is that you're saying, to see the name of Jesus exalted, and to have your grace permeate our hearts. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, there are some guests here this morning, uh, and... And it's his first time being here, and he brought his mother with him. So you should greet them when you see them, Elijah uh, and Donna Kim. <laughs> uh, they haven't left you, brother. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, today we're closing out on the series of, of uh, on the gospel and human sexuality. 
how the gospel is good news for the sexually broken. We've been in this series for a number of months. We had a break with Advent and uh, with prayers for the persecuted church, but now we're, re we're returning to it. But, and so we want to close out this series. And we've been using the phrase, the term, sexually broken. And I know that some people would say that that's trying to soft pedal sin. No, it's an expression to say that sin has made colossal wrecks of every individual and the human community. And sexual brokenness, we, all, all of us are sexually broken because all are sinners. And sexual brokenness is the problem for everyone. Therefore, the gospel is good news for everyone. And you might ask, how do I know that everyone is sexually broken? Well, everyone is sexually broken since the first thought about your, your sexual desire is, how am I going to gratify my desire in my own way? And such thinking arises out of our, sen our sinful sexual brokenness. And if we weren't sexually broken, our first thought about our sexual desire would be, how do we glorify God with the desires we've been given? And if you say, there it is, the, I'm not sexually broken because I don't believe in God. Well, that doesn't resolve the matter. Not if you're honest with yourself, because you have to admit that whatever your reaction is to your sexual desire, it's not self-determined. And this is true since you are not self-determined. What do I mean? Well, you didn't will yourself into existence. You didn't exist before you existed. <laughs> only God, only God is, is <laughs> existed without any help, without any assistance. He is self-existent. You didn't create the genetic code that makes up your DNA. You didn't orchestrate the, 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 the union between the two people who conceived you, nor the two people who conceived them, or the two people who preceded them that conceived them, or the two people who, conceded, who, who preceded them that conceived. Do I need to go on? Yeah. Yeah. See, it's, yeah, if, so if you're honest, what you think about your sexual desires is a complex mixture of biology, nurture, culture, history, none of which you control. And so your dilemma is not resolved simply because you don't believe in God. In fact, it gets worse because you're not just because you're, you're just repeating the same patterns of brokenness that have gone before you. So if you are sexually broken, then, then sexual expression is not, it's, you're not, it's not able, sexual expression is not able to provide the wholeness that your heart seeks. And too many people place the weight of their lives on an act of sex or their sexual desires and, and those things cannot bear that weight.
So where is the path to wholeness? Are we supposed to make the journey alone? See, those who are disciples yet struggle with their sexual brokenness also struggle with loneliness. For example, those who are are seeking to follow Jesus and yet struggle with same-sex attraction often, in the words of our denomination's ad interim report on human sexuality, have found limited support and encouragement in their desire to follow Christ. In representing the gospel that claims a new birth to all whom God wills to be his children, the church must be a community that seeks to be family even for disciples who are sexually broken. But how does that happen? How does this happen? Jesus offers to us a path to wholeness, a place to let the weight of our lives rest. And it's here in the text when we read in verse 29 and 30 where Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You see, the path to wholeness, that place of rest for is in Jesus Christ and the gospel. So for Jesus' sake and for the gospel, the path to wholeness and how the church becomes a family, even to the sexually broken, is experienced in the things you leave and sustain in the things you receive because ultimate fulfillment is in the age to come which is provided by a grace that's outside of yourself. Now, that's the outline. That's, 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 that's where we're going. So, so, so the, the church be, becoming a family, even to the sexually broken, is experiencing the things you leave. Look at verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. And for Jesus' sake and for the gospel, there are things you leave. Peter says, we have left everything and followed you. Well, what did he leave? What what did he leave? His business of fishing. And they they left the rabbis and the system of religion they had known as they were walking up, waking up to the reality of, of who Jesus is. But Peter is not quite sure what it all means. And we know this because in Mark 10, 26, he says this, and they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? You remember that in, in, the, in the context here, the rich young man who had come to ask Jesus, what, what, what must he do to receive eternal life? And Jesus told him, you know, follow the commandments. And, oh, I've done all of this since, I was, since my youth. Oh, oh really, then you, have, you lack one thing. Give up your riches and come and follow me. Well, and he didn't. So, so Jesus, so, 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 so there Peter asked this question upon the hills of that, of that whole scenario. And he said, and they're astonished, who, then who can be saved? The whole understanding of salvation was shattered when Jesus said how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
So why is this astonishing? Well, so the Greek word is, means to strike. And so it's like a blow to the head. And you, you've heard this expression before, you got your bell rung. Yeah. Today, it's a concussion. No, so in boxing or, or football, this can happen when, when you're hit. And, and it leaves you disoriented. The disciples, the disciples are disoriented about what it means to be saved. See, they heard the rich young ruler's resume. You know, he's a good guy. He leads a moral life, and, and he's respectable. What's wrong? You know, he would be a good church member in, in any church in the West. You know, but what's wrong? See, if he can't get into the kingdom of God, who can? And Peter and the others had been taught that riches and, and are, are the blessing of a moral life, a, a sign of God's approval. And, and many today think the same thing. Wealth, but wealth is not a sign of God's favor, nor is it a sign that you are following Christ. Because you remember what, the, what this rich young man did. He walked away from the Lord sorrowful, what verse 22 says. So for Jesus' sake and for the gospel, like Peter and the disciples, you have to leave everything and follow Jesus. So there are, thing, there are things you leave, things and people that you can't let come between you and your devotion to the Lord. So what are you leaving to follow Jesus? See, leaving everything to follow Jesus is one way of saying that whatever I was trusting the weight of my life to before, I now give it up for Jesus. Be it houses, relationships, jobs, the culture, my ideas of sexuality, etc. Christ will not have his people filled with divided loyalties. And like the disciples, you don't understand it yet because you still are not quite sure what Jesus is going to mean to you. And like them, you only know you've given up everything to follow him and you can't go back now. And what about the comparison of, of other people? Because that's what Peter does here. I mean, they're looking at, they're looking at the rich young man and, and oh, well, if he can't make it, what about us? We've given up everything. You know, so, yeah, see, it, as it looks, you look at other people and it looks like, you know, they don't have any struggles, any struggles at all, let alone whether it's their sexual brokenness, you know, like, like you, you know, as far as you know. But then they walk away from the Lord disheartened. And it's like a kick in the head, and, and you begin to think, then who can be saved? You need to listen to Jesus' promises. His promises will assail your fears. His promises are our help when those times come. Because not only are there things you leave for Jesus' sake and for the gospel, but you are sustained in the things you receive. Look at verse 29 and the, first part, the, the, the latter half of verse 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. See, for Jesus' sake and the gospel, there are things you will receive. Peter says, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus replies with this statement countering 
what it is you leave with what you receive. But what does Jesus mean by this statement? Because it sounds similar to our Old Testament reading, right? In Deuteronomy 13, 6 through 8. You know, this is a scary passage, you know, you know and, 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 and you look at it and you read it and you think, how, how is that? How is that in the Bible? You know, so if your brother, Deuteronomy 13, 6 through 8, if your brother, the son of your mother or, or your son or your daughter or the wife you embrace or your friend who is as your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the people who are around you, whether near you or far from you, from the, on, from, from the one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him. Do you see the similarities? See, both texts are talking about the most intimate family relationships that you have and friendships. Both are saying that you cannot let those relationships, these relationships, come between you and your love for the Lord. And your love for the your love of the Lord must be greater than your love for mother, father, wife, and husband, son, and daughter, brother, and friend. Your love for the Lord has to be so much greater that if any of these relationships were to try to persuade you to move away from him, they're doing something that is not to be tolerated. It's not to be pitied. It's not to be covered up. But it's worthy of death. By your hand! and the whole community. That's, that's shocking. But this is all under the law, and, it, and it's based on the Exodus, because Deuteronomy 13.10 shows us this. You shall stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And Jesus here in Mark emphasizes that our love for him must be as intense as what Deuteronomy describes. Only he adds... That what you give up, he more than makes up. See, you give up familial relationships and houses and lands, those are, those are economic means. For Jesus' sake and the Gospels, you will receive manifold more in this time. Houses, family members, children, and lands. See, what Jesus means is that the spiritual connection with other believers is deeper than natural family ties. And this is good news. This is good news for the disciples struggling with sexual brokenness because it says there are people who will love you and welcome you and challenge you to grow in Christ. And if the church has failed to do that, may the Lord call us to repentance. The ad interim report on, on human sexuality, and by the way, we have that in the office if you want to get a copy of it and read it, and makes this point. One of the most important questions that believers experiencing same-sex attraction have asked in recent years is, where am I to find community, companionship, and belonging in this journey of discipleship? All too often, Christians have been very clear on the no of the same-sex sexual relationships without then offering a plausible pathway to deep and meaningful community for which we were made. Believers who experience same-sex attraction often struggle with a deep-seated and crushing loneliness, a, a fear of never belonging to another human being. 
Churches must be committed to being communities of welcome for all sinners, not merely as broken people to be ministered to, but also as active and important participants and contributors in our communities. Yeah. So when you become a, a believer in Jesus, there, there, may be, there may be and there will be some family and friends who are not thrilled about your decision. And they, they may reject you. But Jesus calls you to love him so intensely that it seems like you have left your natural family. And he also says to those whom he calls to love their brothers and sisters, regardless of their sin struggles, to help them grow in faith and in the knowledge of the Lord. How, that's, what he calls, that's what he calls the church to do. This is, what, this is what he calls the church to do. This is what the church was. And so how else, if he doesn't call us to do this, how else are we to become a welcoming family, creating deeper than family spiritual connections in him? See, for Jesus' sake and for the gospel, there are things you receive. A family. You become a family. But also, this, you, there are things you receive because ultimate fulfillment is in the age to come. Look at verse 30. We're picking up in the middle of the verse. Jesus says, you know, truly what I say to you, you, you who, who will not receive a thousand, anyone who's left father, mother, houses, and lands, you will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. You see, for Jesus' sake and for the gospel, ultimate fulfillment is in the age to come. See, Jesus teaches the disciples a new way to think about the kingdom of God. He speaks of it in terms of renewal and inheritance. And when Matthew records this, this same scene with their, in their walk with Jesus, he adds a few more details in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27 and 29. He says here, here Peter said in, in reply to, to Jesus when he says that about the camel and the eye of the needle, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Do you see the difference? Peter's question had another part. What then will we have? We've given up everything. What will we have? And Jesus' answer has more details, too. The things will be regenerated, renewed, and you will rule and judge and inherit eternal life. I see, this is good news for the sexually broken because it teaches us that we're not always going to be like this. Hallelujah. In the world will not always be this way either, but all things will be renewed. You are not always going to suffer those memories of abuse. You won't always struggle with those temptations. The feelings of guilt over past sins won't always be remembered. See, it also teaches us that this is a long war. 
and it's not over today. See, in the experience of the things you leave while, while being sustained in the things you receive, and because the ultimate fulfillment is in the age to come, do you see what Jesus is doing in the disciples, in us? He is realigning our loves. See, the weight of our lives is no longer on things. And or is it, it's not on people like yourself it's, it's, or, or your sexuality. And since our fulfillment is, is coming, we're not despairing, thinking we've lost everything. David Paulson says this in his piece of uh, uh, making all things new, restoring pure joy to the sexually broken. He writes this. He says, Jesus brings sanity and good sense. God neither overvalues nor degrades the good things he has made by realigning whom you most love away from yourself and distorted pleasures. He makes all secondary loves, including sexuality, flourish in their proper place. You see, that's what, that's what the renewal of the world is about. Getting all things back to flourishing in their proper place for the glory of God so that God will continue to say, it is good. And so, yes, ultimate fulfillment is in the age to come, which is provided by grace that is outside of yourself. Look at verse 31 of Mark 10. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So it, it, it is obvious that this reversal of, of understanding of the universe is not something that the first makes happen for themselves, nor do the last place themselves at the head of the line. But it must be that this resetting happens from outside of ourselves. You see, for Jesus' sake and for the gospel, this grace comes to us from outside of ourselves. Paulson, again, he writes this, we often underestimate just how radically biblical faith relies on grace. Grace means that what makes things right comes to you from the outside. It's the sheer gift that someone else gives to you. You don't get it by jumping through certain religious hoops. You are forgiven, accepted, saved from death, outside of yourself, and because of another. Yeah, see, Jesus has presented a new way into the kingdom of God that it's not possible for men to accomplish. That's what he says in Mark 10, 27. Only God could make it possible. Why does he say this? It's because he is saying that the way to enter God's kingdom is not by keeping the law, like the rich young man said he did. See, Jesus is saying, I am the law fulfiller. I am the one who brings you a new exodus. I will be the one who delivers you from the bondage of slavery. And that's why he'll say you must love him supremely above family relationships because he is the one who dies to bring to you and I deliverance. See, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 13 is a test. It's a test. That's what verse 3 of Deuteronomy 13 says. For the Lord your God is testing you. To know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. As you see, we were the family members. We were the family members of Deuteronomy 13. Who We were the ones who were seeking to go and serve others' gods. And, at the, and, and the, the hand that was first against us to put us to death is the hand of God. 
But Jesus stands in our place, accepting the stones of the wrath of God that should have landed on us and our sin. But now, because of his death, delivering us from the slavery to sins, he calls to us, he calls us to follow him without reservation and with our whole life. So Mark 10, 29, where Jesus makes those statements about leaving father, mother, and brother, sister, if you, you know, all of that is a restating of the same test. Do you know Jesus' death, his death did the opposite of what some religions do with their honor killings. You've heard, you've heard of these things. Deuteronomy 13, you know, it, it can sound like it supports uh, such, type, such killings until you see Jesus because, you know, because some religions, they practice honor killings to respond to, to shaming behavior. But here's the question. Is it possible? Is it possible for one man to practice honor living that brings healing from shame in the community and the family? You see, God reverses Deuteronomy 13 because he says to Jesus, my hand must first Strike you in order for their sin and shame to be removed, and they are spared. See, Jesus dies so that we might be drawn to the Father. And that's our prayer, right? That we're drawn to the Father. Listen to Psalm 25, 11, where the psalmist prays, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. You see, what do you want God to remember when he looks at you? Your sin or his own mercies brought to us through Christ? Oh yeah, we need, we need a grace that is outside of us. We need Jesus. Paulson, one more time. He says, sin turns you in on yourself, blinding you to God. Guilt also tends to turn you in on yourself. Self-laceration exalts your opinion of yourself as supremely important. Shame exalts the opinion of other people. But living repentance and living faith turn outward to the one whose opinion matters most. What God chooses to remember about you will prove decisive. Your conscience, if well-tuned, is secondary and dependent on the stance he takes. If the Lord is merciful, then mercy has the final say. Hallelujah. It is beyond our comprehension that God acts mercifully for his sake because of what he is like. Wrap your heart around this and the aftermath of sin will never be the same. You will stand in joy and gratitude, not grovel in shame. <sighs> Praise, praise the Lord. And see, you want to leave some things when you know that Jesus left everything to come into the world to save you. You want to receive some things when you understand that Jesus received you through his death and resurrection. You want the ultimate fulfillment in the ages to come as you comprehend that Jesus' life was ultimately End it so he could bring to you and me eternal life. You'll want to stop pursuing 
secondary saviors within you when you rest in the real grace that comes from outside of you in Jesus Christ. So here's a question to you who are are sexually broken, everyone, and you're looking for the path to wholeness, everyone. Will you let the weight of your life rest on Jesus Christ? See, all other relationships will sink beneath the weight of your life. You can't bear it. He's the only one who can carry you. Oh, and church, friends, brothers and sisters, wrapping our hearts around this great exodus in Jesus Christ is how the church prepares to be a family to believers who are sexually broken and struggle with same-sex attraction or any other sin. For Jesus and the gospel ties us together. And this is our path to wholeness as we walk together since we are God's people. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, indeed you do say some hard things to us, but Lord, you give to us great grace in your son. A thing, Lord, which we marvel at and wonder at and continue to rehearse with ourselves and and, and within our community. And we ask that you would enable us to do so that we might be and might bring glory and honor to your name. Make your name glorious in our midst, Lord, as we seek to become your people. You've made us so. Do it for your great name's sake. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.